So, it's been a while since I did another episode. Welcome to Julian Lionel. This is Ignorant Bliss. Um, this episode is from November, where I moderated a Q&A with my friend Tom King, writer of Mr. Miracle, Batman, Sheriff of Babylon, The Vision, and other fine comics at Phantom Comics in D.C. Here is the panel in its entirety. Uh, hope you enjoy. Also, I just started a Patreon at patreon.com slash Julian Lytle. Um, check out the tiers. One of the tiers is that you'll get episodes early than what's on the feed and also reviews and things that won't be on the feed until way later. It's mostly for the Patreon. So check that out and enjoy the episode and I'll holler at you folks later. I'm can everyone in the back hear me? I hope they can hear me. You hear how loud that is? You hear how loud that is? They should be able to hear me fine. Look at that. Our acoustics here are pretty bad. But you got a microphone and a speaker, no? Well, thank you, everyone, for coming. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I can't believe you showed up. That's, thank you. <laughs> What's uh, up, buddy? We love you! <laughs> so, uh... What we're going to do for the structure of this is that uh, we took a couple of questions ahead of time online, um, and Jake spread itself out. Uh, our friend Julian is going to be moderating this really quickly uh, after the Q&A portion. Then we're going to move everybody around so that we can get the, the signing started. Uh, as you saw up front and online, it's limited two things for person to start. Uh, if the line moves fairly quickly, we may let people get back in line for subsequent stuff. It's mostly just to let everybody get a shot and also to not overwhelm our lovely friend Tom. So I can be overwhelmed. I'm okay. <laughs> oh, no, you do this all the time. <laughs> so hard to sign. I have a short name, so I'm okay. <laughs> it's like me and Jim Lee. We can go forever. <laughs> you got to draw those Batman faces on all the, all the Alpha Fudd books. <laughs> Cool. But, uh, uh, hello, everybody in Phantom Comics. Uh, my name is Julian Lytle. Um, I'm a podcaster and a web cartoonist. Um, this here is Tom King. And now. you're my plant because you're an actual friend of mine. Yes. <laughs> this, See, this, that was great. Phantom does research. <laughs> 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 so this is Tom King. Uh, Famous comic book writer. No. Excellent comic book writer. No. Yeah, you're famous now, bro. <laughs> that can't be true. You was on, you, there's you, no such thing as a famous comic book writer. There's Stan Lee and then there's no one else. <laughs> <laughs> nah, bro. You was on Slate. Yeah. You was on Slate. You had a whole hour talking about Batman. Slate. Right, because I'm the only DC-based person. So I, was the only, I was the only one to drive there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I don't know how many people in this audience know your entire... Uh, story um but i would like to start with like a quick overview of your uh your origin sure my parents were killed when i was young and <laughs> 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 i did a war on good taste uh, no, uh what, what's my origin story i grew up a super nerd i grew up in los angeles um, single mother uh, who worked for the movie studios and uh, I was bad at every thing you're supposed to be good at uh, so I couldn't run or put balls in hoops and uh, but one thing I could do was sit by myself and read so I did that a lot 
and uh, so he was a super nerd, a big Marvel zombie. Avengers were my people because I thought X Men was like too cool, so <laughs> I had to be like nerd among nerds. And um, and I did. I, I loved that. I always wanted to do it for a living, but thought found it was impossible. And then I went to college in New York, interned at Marvel in DC. And sold my first work when I was 20 to Marvel, which was Black Knight. And I thought I was like the next Jim Shooter. I was like, yeah, I'm 20. And Jim Shooter was 13, but I was still exaggerating. But um, And uh, then Marvel declared bankruptcy and fired everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, I did what, what most people in this town did when they came out of college and they didn't know what to do. Like, I want to save the world, so I'll move to D.C. I think I was watching too much West Wing at the time. <laughs> And uh, I joined the Justice Department. I moved, uh, well, like 10 blocks north of here, up in Adams Morgan, um, up on 16th and U. And uh, and then 9-11 happens, and I joined the CIA. I moved to Arlington, that was a mistake. <laughs> uh, I went overseas a few times, I came back, I had a kid, didn't want to be a kid and a CIA officer at the same time. There's only town where you know that if you know CIA officers, they're working 24 seven. I just didn't want to be that kind of dad. So I, I quit, became a house dad. Um, I'm on Capitol Hill now. Went to a, 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 I was gonna write the memoir called Me and the Nannies because it was just me and the nannies for two years, uh, taking care of my kid. And then I sold a book to Simon Schuster and DC saw that and I got hired and that's it. That's the quick version. So that, uh, that book was called uh, Once Crowd the Sky, right? Yes. Um, that, that's when I met you. That was some years ago now, right? That was some years ago. That was 10 years ago. When was it? No, no. 2012. That's not 10 years ago. That's five years ago. <laughs> Whew. It's early for a Sunday, guys. <laughs> I have three kids. <laughs> so um, you went from the book, and then you were able to uh, write at DC, thanks to some smart editors. Um Thanks to Cliff Chang, help me out. Yeah, I, I did. Cliff Chang, Cliff was supposed to be my the design the cover for Crowded Sky. Cliff Chang is an artist, you guys don't know, and and he got a gig at Wonder Woman, and he called me and it was like the last thing. He's like, dude, I got to totally abandon you and do Wonder Woman. I was like, well, that makes sense. Uh, and and then like a year later, I came to him and the book uh, failed. It was a complete failure. Like nobody bought it, so I was hand selling it, um, going from con to con. If you guys are local cons, I was doing that dumb Loring con at a fire station. I was doing. Um, the little Maryland con where you, you worked it was half of the con was was it was just a bunch of dudes at the table and half of it was dudes playing basketball in the gym. <laughs> and so you just you're just squeaking squeakers. So I did that for two years just hand selling my book. And uh, and then I met Cliff at a con. I was like, hey Cliff, my book got this great and I just lied. It's a big success. And he's and he gave me a bunch of emails of DC editors. I emailed, you know, 30 editors and one responded was Karen Berger, who's the, the head of Vertigo at the time and, and uh, he she got me my first gig. I think I'm a pity, but I'll take pity. So, um, what was the uh, first story you did DC that led to you um, teaming up with Tim Seeley on Grayson? So, so I ha so Karen Berger. If you people don't know, Karen Berger is um, she's she's probably the the one. Of, I think if you made a list of greatest editors in history comics, Karen probably number one. She just she uh, brought Neil Gaiman, she brought Alan Moore, she brought Jason Aaron, she brought Grant Morrison, and so uh, she low key the goat. Yeah, she's she, she's the best, and uh, and then they fired her. But um, 
uh, anyways, so, so she, she, I think she probably just saw the CIA thing. She just ignored the book thing. She's like, oh, maybe I can do some of that. So she arranged New York Comic Con uh, th- four years ago or so. She, she's like, hey, well, let's get together and have some coffee. And I just thought it was like to check if I was a crazy person. Because when you say the CIA thing, like most people assume you're a crazy person, which is not so untrue. Um, <laughs> so I didn't prepare anything. And then so she came and she's like, instead of coffee, let's go sit at your crappy table. And then you pitch me a series for vertigo and I had nothing so like like walking back to my table and I had to think in my head create a whole series and I created this terrible series and I pitched it to her at the table and it's one of those things where you can see the pitch coming out of your mouth and you can see how much they don't like it <laughs> and she's just like her face is collapsing and she's dying on the table and I think uh, honestly because she's like oh I made him go through all this stuff she handed me off to another editor and said well you can have an eight pager so I had an eight pager in a small annual called time warp which was um about uh it was about hitler dying and it was called um what the heck was it called excuse me i swear too much sorry about that <laughs> this is dc you can handle it <laughs> um anyways it, it was it was it was it was that old trope of what if what if you went back in time and killed hitler when it was all told from the sister's perspective so she had no idea what was going on so she's just walking one day and some time traveler comes back and shoots her brother <laughs> and the world goes on and her life gets terrible and the world gets better it was a very typical me story <laughs> sad and a child died it's like yeah it's a tom king center <laughs> so depressing it was so depressing <laughs> she hung herself in the last panel <laughs> <laughs> so much depression, people. So much depression. That's perfect. So, um, so you got the eight pager. What happened next? Uh, without any of the uh, politics, what was what, was were Grayson next or? Yeah, Grayson's next. Yeah, I got right. I well, well, Sheriff was next. First, I pitched a series that did that went all the way up, and Dan Deal said, "Who the fuck is this guy?" And he rejected me. And I pitched another series, which was Sheriff. I really didn't want to write about the war, but. I was like so desperate just to like not be on, not not be a, a failed writer. So um, I was like, "Fine, write about the war." So I wrote sheriff, and that got accepted, and they were going to publish it in the last second. They decided not to, and then my and then I got Grayson, which was co-writing with Tim Seeley. So how many people in the room read Grayson? Oh, yeah, no, this, 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 this is a nice little number. Um, so was that was that your your first time entering the um, Batman universe? Like well, working, for, working, yeah. in it, working in it. Yeah, that was my first time working in the Batman universe. Did, yeah. did you enjoy writing Grayson? Yeah, dude, Dick Grayson was my favorite character, and I didn't, and it wasn't so sad. <laughs> it was funny. It was such a revelation because I, I was, I wrote these. You know, I write very sad, depressing comics, and I wrote one for Dick Grayson. And Tim Seeley calls. He's like, "Man, this is great. This is wonderful. This is good." But this is not what we're doing for a living. <laughs> He's like, Dick Grayson is a character who embraces the joy, and I was like, "Oh, I get it. Okay." So. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> So, yeah, I, mean, that, I love that series. And we got to do super experimental things. And it was Mikel Yanino I still work with today. Um, was like the first genius artist that I got to work with um, besides Tom Fowler. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote my first series, my first issue. I wrote backwards. If anyone's read that issue, it's this number three. It's, it was like a crossover issue. And, I, and they were like, they're like Tom, we're going to do a crossover issue. And I'm like, great, I'm going to write it backwards. <laughs> and, they're like, and they're like, this guy thinks he's Alan Moore. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I have my what would Alan Moore tattoo? I'm like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and and yeah, and, and great Grayson went really well. We did we did a lot of cool stuff with Grayson. It was a fun series. 
So um, at this time, you were also working on Sheriff of Babylon? No. What happened was Sheriff got totally sidetracked and no one would publish it. And uh, after Grayson, Omega Men came next. See, Grayson was, a, was, a, was me getting half a gig because I was co-writing it. So it still wasn't full time. If you're a comic writer, ideally you want to write four books a, four books a month. So you're writing basically a book a week. And so Grayson, I was writing one book every other month. So I had like an eighth of a job. <laughs> and... Um, I didn't realize I was a full-time writer until I got Omega Men, which came. That was like Grayson, like 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 three 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 months into Grayson, I got offered Omega Men, or offered to pitch Omega Men, and. Uh, so Omega Men was a pretty different book uh, for you because, yo, know, it deals with aliens in space. <laughs> it's like full like. Yeah, Babylon space opera. Five. Yeah, and, and just. There's a lot of that book is low key depressing too. But <laughs> no, there's some fun stuff. <laughs> there is some fun stuff. The tiger dude is pretty fun. Tiger's cool. Um, so Callista with her sword. That book. Wow, I don't. It was critically acclaimed, but then it got canceled. Yeah, nobody likes that. Nobody, nobody read that book. Yeah, it didn't sell well, but everybody was was jocking it heavy. So how how did that feel to have a um a comic? that like a really passionate small group of people really uh, championed it to the point where it's like DC was like yo I guess we can't cancel this though Uh, it was horribly depressing because <laughs> because uh, I knew it was good, but I knew no. I mean, this. Is, so when I got the Batman gig, which came like a year after that, I was we did this whole announcement thing where you sit on the stage and like the end of the deal like takes everyone's like Tom what are you working on Tom and it's on you, live on YouTube and we did a practice for it and we're all just kind of joking around like kind of making fun of each other as we did it and I make fun of Dan for his comics that he writes because they're not the best comics um them joints is terrible all of them joints is terrible <laughs> he's being nice because Dan DiDio is like that dude but cause he's very nice all and, them and, joints and, is whack puts feed in, and puts food in my kid's mouth them joints is whack <laughs> that being said he might be the nicest dude ever he should never write superhero comics again <laughs> so that's exactly what I said right um and uh and, and so he teases me back and he's like Tom I'm gonna you do that again I'm gonna make you write our lowest selling book and I paused and I was like Dan I, I write your lowest selling book <laughs> and there was this look on his face like I just gave this guy Batman <laughs> he has to move 100,000 copies he can't move five of Omega Men <laughs> and I could tell I was like thank god we're on camera like he can't fire me at this moment <laughs> Um, yeah, Omega Men. Literally at the time, the Omega Men's last issue, we have the the editor told me uh, was the worst selling book in Marvel and DC for that month, which meant it was probably because that was like a low selling time for the industry. So it's probably the lowest selling mainstream book of the last ten. So years. it was an Image comic. Yeah, so it was an Image comic. All right, that ain't too bad. But it, that gives you the freedom, you know. When you, when the best thing they can do is you're like, we don't care about this book. I mean, you, you, I talked to Frank Miller about this, and he'll he'll tell you like the best thing that happened in his career is someone gave him Daredevil and. Said, this book is canceled and it's crap and you'll never do anything with it and he's like boom I can do whatever I want with it and that's what Omega Man was like nobody cared and once it had been sort of renewed where I mean that's what saved that book um 
was the fans saved the book and then people saw that it had been canceled and so they kind of got interested in it and this, the best thing that ever happened in that book was that it got canceled and uh so then you have freedom you can do all sorts of weird i mean we, we did crazy stuff with that book which i, I will um i can't believe it let us do so um before we start getting to like the real burn up the chart stuff i think omega man was the first time i really noticed you use the nine panel grid that um alan moore is a homeboy and watchman i told you i had a tattoo <laughs> yeah 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 that was the first time i think people really saw you use that and use it so effectively where it didn't seem like you were straight biting and copying um just how much more than the usual like what went to your mind to say like yo i want to use the nine panel grid with this space opera <laughs> but we couldn't find an artist for Omega Men, and we and I had through through a buddy of I want Juan Castro point out a guy that, that that we like called Barney Abagenda, but he had never done anything. He was an Indonesian artist, um, and we asked him for samples and all, and he didn't even have he had never done a panel page before. So when you're dealing with an artist where you don't know if he can tell a story or not, the easiest way to sort of deal with that is to put him on a grid. So that's where I did that where I started with, and then I, I, I could for Omega Man I did my own layouts where I would say I say okay there's nine panels on a page I'd label each panel because this is what you do on one page and one panel too and then I had I did it didn't work but it, it almost worked where I was trying to do this structural thing with Omega Man because if you look at an Omega Man it's a, a reflective figure the left side reflects the right side so every, every issue of Omega Man the layouts in the first ten pages reflect the layouts in the second ten pages and then the whole the first ten issue layouts reflect no the first Six issue layouts reflect the second six issue layouts. If you look at the actual book, I didn't pull it off. There's there's two or three panels, but that's out of you know nine times twenty times twelve. So that's that's pretty good. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so so I was trying to do a sort of formal thing again. I was copying Alan Moore and what he did. Uh, I, I ran into Dave Gibbons at the Eisner's this year, and I, I said, "Oh, th um, thank you. Uh, I'm sorry I stole." everything from you <laughs> and he's a fan of sheriff and he's like dude i stole everything from steve dicko so so we're good <laughs> and then so if i ever run into steve dicko i'll be like oh i'm sorry i stole everything from you and then he'll hit me in the face <laughs> like, he did steal everything from me yo if you find steve dicko you man you you deserve an award so everybody knows where he is he's in that apartment he lives like what in 40th 40th yeah, street yeah like, like you just go find him and knock on his door but um so, at this point, I think you ventured across the street, and you did some work at Marvel. Yeah, then I did, did Vision. Vision. Yeah. And everyone loves Vision. And I recently just finished Vision because I'm late. Because you don't like me? Wouldn't read? <laughs> what? I, you know I have beef with, the Mar with Marvel Comics, so I didn't want to read it. Oh, you have beef with Marvel Comics? Yeah, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> 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 Leading question from my guest. Um, but yeah, I really I read it. Uh, that was a pretty interesting take on the character. That was a uh, take that I don't think I've read in all my years of reading Vision. That was the first one where it felt like a, um, a cyberpunk story like Philip K. Dick or anything I read in, in a lot of Japanese manga, things like Pluto and, and the like. So, um, what inspired you? to have vision 
Move to Nova. <laughs> start a family. And cause all that. It's in Cherrydale. It's very specific. <laughs> Yo, to the street? To <laughs> the school? Like... The, the major battle takes place at courthouse movie theaters. <laughs> was it... Was it... Uh, was it... Uh, Arlington Police? Game? Yeah, Arlington Police. <laughs> I was like, okay. But yeah, what brought you to want to put robotic Avenger Vision in this type of situation versus his usual like I'm a robot and I'm in love with Scarlet Witch and then I get destroyed and then someone puts me back together again so so when when, when an editor gives you a, a, a pitch or a story like early in your career and they're like we want we have we have this character we want you to work with and then they're just going to say some character to you the next sentence is oh that's my favorite character I've always wanted to work with him whatever character they say so they're like we have this perfect character for you Tom it's Vision I'm like Vision yeah he's my favorite character I've always wanted to work with him <laughs> Like, who cares about Vision? <laughs> like, he had, like, one good storyline in West Coast Avengers in 1989 or something. Um, and he, he'd been dead for 10 years. Uh, but I said that, so I lied, and that's always good to do in publishing. <laughs> and uh, and then I was like, but then you're like, but then, like, you want to pitch to the editor, and you want to sort of guess what's in their head without asking them, because you want to seem smart, but you kind of hint at it. You're like, what? Because they're just like, they're like, pitch us something for Vision. And you're like, what genre? And he's like, sci-fi. And so I'm thinking in my head, oh, great, I'm going to do this thing, where he travels around, you know, he meets all those, like, Starlin characters, like the in-betweener and all those stuff. And then, and then, and then, and then like, the next email was sci-fi, but no space. <laughs> I was like, "What? That, that's oh, that, isn't that what sci-fi is?" <laughs> so then I'm like, "I don't know what sci-fi and not space is." So then I thought, like Frankenstein. I was like, "What do I do with him?" Like Frankenstein. That's kind of so. It's like, like Frankenstein and, and you know the Bride of Frankenstein's movie. I like so. I was, I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah. He, he he creates his own wife. That's kind of cool. But that's is Bride of Frankenstein. That's already done." And I was like, "Oh, he creates a wife and kids for himself to love." I was like, "Oh, that's kind of fucked up." <laughs> and when you get to that point where you're like kind of effed up you're like oh okay then you're on to something and um and and so then i i, I pitched it to our buddy daryl taylor who's also another podcaster and i was like i was like it's 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 vision but he he has a family and and he creates them and they all and, and i was like and then they live and they live in the suburbs um because I'm a city boy, so I obviously think the suburbs are messed up. And so, uh, and, and Daryl's Daryl's like, that sounds really boring. <laughs> it's like, it sounds like an 80s sitcom. And I was like, oh, it does. And then I just I just automatically flew back just to not be boring. I was like, oh, but it, it, it makes him evil and he goes crazy and kills everybody. He's like, okay, that could be good. <laughs> so then the pitch became Breaking Bad Vision. And, uh, <laughs> and that was the simplest pitch to make. That was just that was, that was so easy. Once you say that, they're like, okay, I get it. So, yeah, so, so that's how it's... And then that happened. Vision 1 came out in, in that time that Omega Man time was canceled. So after Omega Man 4 or 5. And I was just convinced that I couldn't write comics. I didn't know how to do it. And... And so, like, once I was convinced of that, I was just, I just threw out all the rules. I was like, let's forget that. I might as well just write something I like because I know it's going to be canceled in three issues, anyways. And, uh, and, and, and I was convinced that the only reason, that the reason Omega Man failed is I, I didn't put the stakes up front. So that's why I invented sort of this vision voice where the first issue, it's like, at the end of this comic, the world blows up. So at least people knew, like, there were some stakes involved. Yeah, that was pretty interesting, but it's interesting that you pitched it as Breaking Bad Vision, when really the person who broke bad was his robot wife, Virginia. 
Well, they all broke a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty interesting. Like, I don't, I don't know if if everybody who got this, but like once he said he used brain patterns to make his web, I was like, oh man, he used the Scarlet Witch. I mean, she gonna go crazy. <laughs> and then the first issue was like, yo, she went crazy. <laughs> like, like, what? Like, that, why did he think that was okay? But um. That's oh. total Frankenstein seal. That's what Frankenstein is, right? Like, Igor goes to get the brain, he gets the wrong brain, and brings back the, the killer instead. See, that's just me ripping off Mary Wilson craft. I guess. You know, there's a lot of Frankenstein. And I thought some Pinocchio stuff. Like, all the... What was interesting was, like, why? how come it felt like his family was malfunctioning way more than he was? <laughs> because they would get to a point where they couldn't t- understand trauma, and then they start repeating their words. It's like, I thought of, like, a computer. It's just like, yo, Windows froze on them joints, like, all the time. <laughs> what was just some of your thought process on, on, on dealing with that? Like, the boy, he froze after, like, the big traumatic event in the beginning, and then, like, the wife couldn't handle, like, suburbia. <laughs> and the daughter couldn't handle, like... You know, it was like my so-called life. She just couldn't deal with it. She just fell apart. Well, to me, Vision was falling apart just as much as the rest of them. But he was more trained at hiding it. Like he he was he had been around. The difference between them and Vision was they were new. They they were just sort of meeting these challenges for the first time. Whereas Vision was sort of experienced with hiding that pain and sort of repressing it. Um, so, so their their pain was close to the surface was his was just sort of equal but he was able to hide it that's why in the end it just kind of burst out of him because the more you oppress it the more it sort of eventually is going to kill you that's what I'm thinking okay alright alright so, right. <laughs> right, so at this time Vision's getting hot like fire everybody's jockeying it you have a nice little um, battle between the publishers over you. Like That's nice, always the best. Like a nice little like like NBA summer season, you know. <laughs> Who's gonna get Tom King? <laughs> and then you you know you get the exclusive at DC, and you get Batman. You get Batman after like super popular Scott Snyder's run, and now it's your role in Rebirth to like do a whole different type of run. So what goes into your thought process? of tackling basically the marquee superhero in American comics. Mostly screams of fear. Um, <laughs> I, I really should say I was calm and cool and prepared and I was like totally confident but I was like not any of those things. Um, so when I first got Batman, I, I, so I call it the trilogy of but it's Omega Men, Sheriff, and, and Vision. I see them as sort of three works that serve an exact same story. It's all about someone who's trying to do something good and then everything falls apart, but in sort of three different genres and three different ways. So I was landing those three as I sort of worked on Batman, and my focus was still on making those land, even though Batman would sell five... 50 times as much as those that was still the pressure was on so I think I wasn't even focused in much on Batman to know what sort of what was coming at me when I was, was on I was like um, they're just like here's another title for you Batman I was like okay I'll think of something when I get there <laughs> you know? and um, and then I got the first issue in my head which was a tribute to an old Flash comic um, which is Batman on a plane and just seeing a guy who couldn't fly trying to save a bunch of people while in the air and once I had that I sort of started going but uh, Batman's tough because I feel like I stumbled out of the gates. Like I didn't know what Batman was. I was too, 
I was trying to make it, I don't know, what's the right word? I was trying to make it like the Batman everybody wants it to be. Like, I was like, oh, here's Batman on the roof with Gordon, and here's Batman doing some cool um, gadget stuff, and like just kind of reliving the highlight moments, but not writing about sort of what the core of the character was, or not relating to it, or not doing artsy fartsy shit. And um, it took me a while to get my feet on the ground with that book, I think. When do you feel you uh, got your feet? Because reading it, to me, I think you got your feet around um, your Iron Bane. Yeah. Um, that was a different, the whole I am su- the suicide. And then like when Bane came back and he was like, you know, it's on and popping. That's when I was like, okay, Tom is doing some stuff I haven't seen before after reading like years upon years upon years, hundreds upon hundreds, a bunch of hundreds of issues of, of, of Batman comics. Um, is that where you feel like you maybe really started hitting your like your stride and people really started really getting into the work? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, that's, that's the arc I, where I was first really proud of it when volume three is like, I really think this is really good comics. I mean, I think there are moments, like I, there are moments I love in, in I Am Gotham and, and especially I Am Suicide has some really cool stuff, but I'm still sort of, I feel like I'm like a really good cover band there, you know, like I'm like, oh man, he's really nailed almost how the Beatles did it kind of. But with I Am Being, I feel like I'm, I'm seeing like my own voice kind of a little bit. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think I think it was there, and it was it was it was sort of the end of there when we we started getting to. I got comfort. David Finch was a tough artist to get a handle on because he's he's just not someone I I'd worked on with before, and and if I finally sort of understood what his strengths were, because you got to understand to be a good writer, you have to understand your artist's strength. That's like the key to the whole thing. And I started understanding what his strengths were, and started meshing with him. And then my, my favorite artist I worked with, Mitch Garrett, came on the book, and um, and then, then then from there it felt like we were starting to cruise and sort of knew what we were doing. So speaking of artists, that's oh, the nature of, of how Batman's published right now, which is like every two weeks. Ooh, it's hard. Um, you do have a different set of artists, like every every basic arc. How does that change how you approach writing the story while keep, keeping within the themes and the tone of Batman since you're, you're the ongoing writer for as long as you think about it? Uh, because you, you will go from Finch, but then you go to Miss Jarrett's, and then you will go to, um, I can't think of the, um, Janin. Mikhail, yeah. Yeah, on that, the War Joker Riddles. Yo, that's my favorite joint, though. <laughs> that's the joint. And then, like, you got the, um, Joel Jones. Jones on the current art, which is, like, each one is different, but the tone doesn't change. But it's like, it seems like you do right to their strengths. So I wonder what goes into your mind when you're you're crafting the the story. So I I had, I had this thing when I kid when I was a kid that I hated. It was like a pet peeve of mine when you're when you're reading a story and the artist switches halfway through the story, like um, Infinity Gauntlet's like the most famous one I can think of where George Perez does the first one. Then Ron Lim, who's a very good artist, comes in, but it's not George Perez. And I hated that as a kid, and so I sort of made a vow. I was like, I'm not going to do that on Batman, ever. And that was a stupid thing to say. It made my life really hard. So in, in Batman, we, I always try to... I, I make the arc match the artist instead of make the artist match the arc. So I'm not, I'm not writing first and then looking to who can we get to draw this. It's, it's more like who's going to draw this and how can I write for them if that's the way it is. And with Double Ship, it's really hard because most artists can draw nowadays um, 10 issues in a year. If, you have, if you're a really good artist, you draw 10. 
I mean, if you're a really fast artist, you draw 10. If you're a really good artist, you're looking between six and eight, which is crazy, six and eight in a year. And if you think about it, a double shift, that's just three months. So that's a, that's a quarter of your year. So you need, you know, right now for, right now at this moment, I have, I have scripts out to seven or eight artists. And so you, have to, so you have to start thinking ahead of like what works for this arc, what works for that arc. So when, when you do Batman the first year, you're super far ahead because you knew Double Ship was coming. So we had Mikel and Finch working at the same time before issue one was pitched. So like I Am Suicide, I Am Gotham written at the exact same time. But now that we're in the second year, we don't have that lead time anymore. So you're going to see smaller arcs. And, and, and the problem with Batman is some of these smaller books, you can get away with sort of like, there's like, you know, DC has a bunch of these artists who are... You know they're basically workman like and they do house style and they're fine great but i for batman i never want to give that to the fans i mean batman gets the a-list talent gets a-list artists so you have to plan super far ahead and jump around and it's it's, it's a it's a mental challenge but as long as you keep true to like sort of where you're going with the character and you know what you're doing like i knew like with batman i have tentpole poles i was like i knew at issue 24 what the engagement would be and i knew i knew what issue 50 is the next sort of huge moment so i sort of write to those big moments and 75 will be the best big one after that and then 100. so you, you you think of it that way coming off of that um how does it feel to go from doing now we have to juggle so much that between all the different artists and all the different stories to sitting down and working with artists you really like like mitch jared's like he worked on Sheriff of Babylon with you, and now he's working on Mr. Miracle. Yeah. How does that How does that change this planning process and the collaborative process of knowing that you're only going to work with one artist and you're going to do a whole story, and it's going to be fire? <laughs> well, with Mitch, you know it's going to be good. I mean, Mitch and I, the, the best way to work with an artist is if you can see, the, the way I work is I see a comic book in my head, and then I just describe what the comic book I see is. So the, be, the better you are, the more you can sort of predict what your artist is going to do, so that way you can sort of give them, you can match your beats to their beats. And with Mitch, I know exactly what he's going to do, and he just, whatever he does, he does it better. So that's, it's super easy with Mitch. But I mean, it's, it's that way with other, I work with Lee Weeks now, and whatever I see, I just well, close my eyes and I just see your one, because he just draws just like Mazzucchelli at this point in his career, which is brilliant. So I mean, I can see exactly what he's going to draw before he draws, and it's, 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 that, it's, it's, it's that easy with other artists, but Mitch is the easiest. And <clears throat> Mitch is my favorite artist because he's the most humanist artist in comics he, he makes um the extreme crazy into something real and grounded and that's that's what i like best about comics is when you take something crazy and insane and then add humanity to it and so the crazy and insane becomes a metaphor for sort of the problems we face as humans and mitch just matches that perfectly so um how does it feel right now with um right now with the current positive response to all your work right now in terms of working and making comics you know having these big big stories with batman like the button having a celebrated run with you know the engagement issue having everyone respond so well to to mr miracle which you know you know that's a that's a digging in the in the long boxes character like I love Mr. Miracle but <laughs> Dude, you, you were essential to that you were essential to that book Julian you're playing it down yes I, I know I play that I play that one. <laughs> I know I didn't I got Mr. Miracle I didn't I didn't ask for Mr. Miracle they I, I Mitch and I were going to do jokes and riddles which 
in, in as a separate twelve issue sort of mini series was in like the Wire, which jokes was a totally different thing. And and um, they DC loved the idea. They're like Joker versus Riddler. That's great. Put it in the main book and give it to Mikel. <laughs> and 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 they're like this. They're like this is the best news ever. We're gonna and we're like oh wow, you just canceled Mitch's eye book. And they're like oh yeah. So then again, I don't mind being pitied. So out of pity, they're like yeah, we'll give you another book. And I asked Dan. We went out drinking, and he drank me under the table, and I was so gone. And uh, I said, well, well, just give me a character. I don't care who it is. I just want someone I can run with, so someone you won't get in my face and I can do crazy stuff with. And he said, Mr. Miracle. And I said, oh, great. New Gods, Jack Kirby. And then I had no idea what to do with it again. It was, it was just like the vision. Just like, he's my favorite character ever. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, I haven't changed at all. <laughs> and then I was talking to you, and I was like, I told you, I was like, they gave me Mr. Miracle. And I, I kind of had this idea. I was like, I knew it was going to be sad and depressing. Lots of people looking out windows crying. And um, and you, you you were going off because you're a huge New Gods fan, like yes. deep. Yeah. And, uh, and I had read them somewhat back in the day, but I had read more Simonson than Kirby New Gods. And you, you, you're the one who said, well, what about Dark Side is? I was like, well, yeah, Dark what, what does that mean? I was like, Dark Side is just like, um, uh, like Thanos light. <laughs> that was, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Dis- disrespect. <laughs> Yo, you gonna have a bad day tomorrow just because you disrespect about repeating that again. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's he's Thanos, but he wears it. He's like Thanos, but in a purple dress. And um, and then you you you, you were like. No, no, you don't understand. It's dark side is, and I was like, that's that's a meaningless phrase. <laughs> and you're like, no, dark side is is like, have you ever had that moment where you had to make a you you knew you, you had to make a good decision, but instead you made the wrong one? I was like, yeah, and you're like, dark side is. I was like, oh, and then you're like, do you know this whole? And then you, and the, you know, we just had this sort of terrible election. And you're like, no, you know what that is? It's like that's dark side is. <laughs> not not to get political, but um, and and so that that that's when that series um gel to me was you saying that and I, and I got this because I we've been doing this thing in Sheriff where we sort of instead of showing the violence because I didn't want to show kids getting shot in the face we went to black and just put the sound effects and so I, I had this in my head I just saw a black panel where it says the white writing dark side is and um and it uh, while we were having that conversation and uh, and that's when that whole gel was you man thanks he also makes me sound way more reasonable low key <laughs> pontificating in the middle of New York Comic Con in front of like a whole group of people. It was great. It was like this, but I was wilding about the fourth world. But, um... I put another Julian in the in the latest one where I called called the High Father Shepherd of the Gods. That was something we, know, we talked I about. Know, I don't want to get... That's get real deep right there. That <laughs> <laughs> take over. You know, that's, that's me theorizing. But, um... You know, I want to get to some of these questions, though. All right, yeah. First question... It's going to come from Matt. It was over there in his Blue Beetle shirt. What's up, Matt? I'm sorry about the swear words. Uh, <laughs> don't say them at school. Baltimore Comic Con, remember? Wow, then I'm sorry about those swear words, too. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, his question is, in your mind, what motivates Orion to act now? He acts. Uh, Did I read that? Act the way he does. Act, act the way he does. I have... I have theories and questions about that too. Wait, you're reading Mr. Miracle? Oh, don't don't read the next issue. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you ordered it. Oh, yeah, I ordered it. I think I read Watchmen almost at your age, so it's cool. <laughs> Tell your dad I'm fully employed. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> Yo, that's a heavy book for elementary schooler. <laughs> uh, I mean, to, to, uh, to me, it seems perfect. I mean, this is a guy who is, is genetically dark side, right? Like he, he has that streak of evil inside him and he's now been given the burden of leadership and he sort of sees that he's the only thing standing between himself and um, what he perceives to be an apocalypse. And, and for that, he sort of th- thinks of himself more godly and, and you know, it's, it's power corrupts and, and, and ultimate power corrupts ultimately. And I, I think that's the idea behind the characters is that, um, and it comes from, you know, just looking at headlines or being in the CIA after 9-11. When, you, when you're fighting an enemy you really think is evil, you start to do evil stuff and you start to corrupt your own self. Um, and, and that might be necessary and that might be good, but it's something that happens. And I think that's what happens to him in this book. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I still don't think any of this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> Dark side is. No. Anti life is real, y'all. Um, these are some questions online from the, the good phantom friends. That's nice. Of the internet. Thanks, everybody. This is from Antonio Jordan. Like I'm probably mispronouncing there. his name because of the accent. <laughs> It asks, what's the work you're most proud of? Uh, I, I, I should say all of it, but no, there's certain issues I like better than others. Uh, I really like Sheriff 5, where just the, it's the two of them sitting around having a conversation. I really like uh, Vision 10, where um, they have uh, the robot's prayer, where, they, where he sits down with his daughter and they sort of pray for God to exist. Um, I really like... Uh, uh, Mr. Miracle 1 and Mr. Miracle 5 which hasn't come out yet and you shouldn't read <laughs> I really like the commandy issue that nobody read <laughs> where I did a black and white issue with um, with Kevin Eastman and it was really sad and depressing it's and, here at Phantom Cup yeah it's here at Phantom Cup please buy it you'll be the first <laughs> third um, people ain't up on commandy yet they ain't have to they ain't, they ain't. that's your next 12 issue run right there. I really like a short story I did with JP um, Leon called Black Death in America I got nominated for um yeah, I mean, and there's there's stuff I've done that I'm not proud of, but it's most of it's all right. <laughs> there was a Teen Titans issue. <laughs> Josh Pollock, uh, is the school Van and Viv Vision attend specifically based off on TJHSST? What was it? Didn't you tell us Jefferson High School for? Science and technology. Yeah, I don't know Virginia schools. I don't know Maryland schools anymore. I'm old. <laughs> yes, yeah, it is. It's, but um, but it's called Hamilton because uh, I grew up in LA, and my local high school was Hamilton High, where my brother went to school. So it's based on sort of those. It's named after the school my brother went to, but it's yeah based off of Thomas Jefferson. TJ, learning things. Steven, which is a crazy school. It's a crazy. They, school? they have like seven hours of homework a night and all this. <laughs> <laughs> How is that? Slow kids. Yeah, for the slow kids. <laughs> I'll get them a job. But um, Steven Spotswood, when it comes to DC and Marvel properties, what's on your wish list of things to write? I, I get that question a lot, and the, the honest answer is, and it's not a good one, but um, I don't really care. I don't care who I. I mean, I care in the terms of I like writing Batman because a ton of people buy it. <laughs> um, 
and uh, yeah, it's it's nice. It's nice to pay for college for my kids. Um, but I, I don't care in terms of the character. I, I think it's what you bring to the character that's more important. It's it's what you, it's the freedom you it's the editor you work with. It's the artist you work with. You, you you put yourself in the character. I mean, if someone gave Alan Moore the Charlton characters, he turned them into Watchmen. Um, so like I said, it's only Frank Marion Daredevil. It's, it's, it's not about the character. It's about the energy you put into that character. So I care more about the freedom they give me. Um, that said, I really want to watch, write Fantastic Four, but they'll never let me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. You got to hide. If you, if you wanted to do the business switch, maybe they'd be like, you can have Fantastic Four. Not while you're in switch with DC. Yeah, no. Um, I got three years to go. Woo! <laughs> checks. That's a lot of checks. Uh, Jesus... Or well, hopefully it might be Jesus Campos Hernandez <laughs> Dear Mr. King Jesus asks <laughs> Dark side is But Jesus asks <laughs> Dear Mr. King There are a zillion books Out there about Becoming a comic book artist Yes But are there any books That you yourself have used Or can suggest For someone That knows zero About writing in this medium How did you become A writer for comics I think we covered Some of that In the be- in the beginning of the talk but this book stuff or what you should do what's the advice yeah so when I decided to become a writer between CIA and, and the actual writing I was do you guys this, this is a stupid deep cut but you guys know Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey that's the movie right that's a good the movie <laughs> so I, my favorite moment in that movie I think about it all the time is like for two movies these guys have been talking about how they're going to be rock stars and they're going to be the they're going to be fucking they're going to meddle and they're just going to rock out they and can't at the end, play. yeah at the end of that movie they get on stage and they just got there and they're like we know everything that's good about metal we've lived metal lives we're going to nail this and they start and they go on their instruments and they suck <laughs> and like oh we forgot to learn how to play <laughs> and then they go away and they become like that is totally what it's like to be a writer you're like you know what's good you know um you 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 have that energy inside you you've had the experiences inside you and you go and you write and you suck <laughs> and you're good enough to know that you suck at it um so what i did was i went up to this is for old school but i went to um uh the borders that used to be here what was it on like 18th up there? Um, this it was a beautiful borders, man. Yo, that's why I bought that big, yeah. Tash and DC. I book missed on the last man. day. Yeah. It was a good day. Um, and I went there and they used to have a shelf on writing, and I, and I literally bought every book on the shelf. And I, I'd, I'd sit in the book pop, but I would sit in the store <laughs> <laughs> and I would, I would read. And that's why there is no borders. <laughs> <That's why there's laughs> DC has a library system. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, but um, borders had coffee, fam. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was right next to my wife's it was I was house I was house daddy at the time so I'd bring my kid there and she'd take his nap in borders and I would sit there and read the books and when he woke up my wife would come and have a sandwich with us uh, and um and so I read like John Gardner's book on how to write. I read um, Stephen King's book on how to write. So I just read a ton of books on how to write. The best one I thought for writing comics is, again, not surprising, but Alan Moore wrote a book on how to write comics and it's available on Amazon. It's like $5 and it's like all the secrets you'd want. And if anyone wants to write, I would start with, I would start with that book. That's just a brilliant place that breaks down how to write comics from the guy who does it better than uh, anyone. Or you still? <laughs> yeah, he, nah, he ain't crazy. He just took a people ask some questions about old comic books. Uh, <laughs> He's just really, really high. He's like, why are you asking me the same questions for 10 years? He may be trying to lay a curse on, on Grant Morrison. That's true. Yeah, that's the, that's my favorite beef. But, um... <laughs> it's just two old wizards. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, yo, well, it's, it's like Grant Morrison doesn't appear to have anything against Alan Moore, so it's like totally one-sided. 
it's like a comic book battle yeah. in real life mm-hmm. and they're both British so we don't totally understand it <laughs> <laughs> they worship um, different magic gods I know <laughs> I've only met one of them I need to meet Adam more but uh I don't want to meet him I'm I terrified do. of him I bet you he is he's probably cool as hell we talk about old music or something <laughs> <laughs> um Will Dawson asked about Dark Side is and we kind of covered that when you, you explained we covered it. when when I went off a rant. Yeah, I stole mm-hmm. it from you. I get it. No, <laughs> no ain't no stealing. Ain't no stealing. Um, Danny, I cannot. But that's say a Grant Morrison name. idea. See, it, all goes it is. It that's is. Sarah Grant. Yeah. Yeah, he he used that a lot. Every time he messed with the Fourth World, he messed with. It. He used Dark Side. Is he? Him so that's, and um, that's Kirby going to Grant, going to you, going to me. Yeah, yeah, That's it went still, through a couple. It went yeah, through a couple, but I got to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I put more rap music into it than Grant Morrison did, though. <laughs> um, Yo, Grant, Grant loved uh, FUD. That was the one he loved when he talked to me. He would love the FUD issue. He loved the FUD issue. Because he likes stuff like that. Because he's weird. <laughs> he's dope, but he's weird. Yeah. I can't be mad when he owned a castle. <laughs> That's what you got to get Batman sells up to buy you a castle. <laughs> Arkham Asylum boy of a castle. You gotta get time to get a castle, dude. You know? A castle in Scotland is the same as an apartment in Dupont Circle. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> you can't put no arches on an apartment in Dupont Circle. Same though. price, same price. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are a few writers. I, oh, this is Danny. I don't want to mess Shayless. up the list. Michelis. What's up, Danny? There are a few <laughs> writers I associate with the visual mechanic like I do You in the nine-panel grid. You've been able to use a number of different ways to count literal time, to inter- intersperse credits and quotes. With moments like a movie and a Mr. Miracle, it gives us splashes of something not quite right. So I'm guessing this is a question about your many uses of the nine-panel grid. Yeah. Ending with how you're um, playing with it in captions in Mr. Miracle. Um, so, so I, when you put it when you put a comic on the grid, it gives you a lot more control over the reader's experience. At least, it gives you control from the script moment to the to the time the person reads it. Um, I don't know what comics is deep history we can go into it, but there are different kinds of grids, and I've experimented with all of them. I like the nine panel one first. Like I'll just go through an eight panel grid, which Carl Barks used a lot. If you read old Carl Barks comics, they're on an eight panel grid, which is sort of four by two. It's it's tough because you lose that sort of um, triple joke element. That you get with three panel grid, you know, um, same, same, different, same, same, different. Um, and just one, two is a little harder to do, but it, it's a better for te- two panel grid is good if you can tell a story without decompression, but after Bendis, we're all using decompression now. So that's not, doesn't work. Six panel grid is what most old comics, comics before 1960 are based on, usually six panel grid, you'll see. Um, and if you look on year one, these six panel grid. Six panel grid, it, it moves a little too fast for me, so that's two stacks of three. And again, you're, you're, you're losing the three thing. If you use three panel grids, it's what Darwin Cook used, where you're just one, two, three. That's lots of fun. You do the sort of the widescreen. But then comics, I, I hate words in comics. If you notice, I don't use a lot of words. So my comics read really fast. I feel really guilty about that. And so if I just use a three panel grid, the comic would read super fast because you'd just be three pictures with you know, two words on them. <laughs> and you'd read a comic. And I mean, a comic usually takes eight minutes. That'd be four minutes. It'd be four dollars for four minute comics that's tough so that leaves you with the nine panel grid which i think works the best and again it's me copying alan moore copying steve ditko copying keith giffen 
and uh, and it's just it's it's a way to control time. It's a way to control your experience. And just the whole the whole point of being a comic book artist is to make you slow down while you read. And with this, with a nine pound grid, I can slow you down a little faster. I can slow you down faster. There. <laughs> make you look at every image more and more and more, so you get that bang for your buck. <laughs> yeah, you get that bang for your buck. Then is okay. So we kind of answered how did each different uses come about. How far into your process do you think about how or if you're going to use it? Um, it depends. Uh, it depends. I hate it depends. Out. Uh, at the beginning, at the script point, I'm late. If I'm going to use a nine pound grid, I just use one. Usually, if I'm working with a new artist, like I said, like I did with Barnaby, I, I put them on a grid. It's a way to make bad artists look good, or not, or not bad artists. The way bad way to put it, but to way, storytellers who don't quite yet know that's best way to tell a story. Put them on a grid, and sort of can emphasize the goodness in their art. Um, the goodness in their art. Oh, hey, hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> emphasize the level of craft within their visual representation. Julian Lytle is. <laughs> Yo, uh, my art education cost me $125,000. I should be able to talk about every art. Every penny, right? <laughs> you should have just gone to Borders. You can sit for free. And just read <laughs> I should have. Um... Uh, yeah, but I, I so I just I decide right at the beginning if it's going to be nine. Now, Mitch on if you look on Sheriff, Mitch would do things right, do a six panel grid, and he would write six panels on a page, and he would just expand them to nine because he started to fall in love with sort of the medium. And so, a, a lot of Mitch takes stuff and puts it on nine panel grids because he knows it. Then when we did everything in in except for the first three pages of Mr. Miracle are all in the nine panel grid and that's such an obvious metaphor it's not even worth saying but it's like it's obviously about a guy who's trapped inside an experience and a nine panel grid drops down a metal bars in front of the reader and puts you in these small little boxes so you feel the claustrophobia of his depression and his situation yeah so but that, that's what I mean it's just like like the most obvious metaphor yeah yeah I, I got that as soon as he if you get to that double page press, it's like, yo, he caught. That's why I don't believe anything else in the comments. Jacob's Ladder? Yo, yo. He's in it. He's going to get out, though. Spoiler alert. His name is Mr. Miracle. It's three. Um, That's not his name. <laughs> that's his name. His his granny named him that. That's his, <laughs> his mama named him Clay. I'm going to call him Clay. That's so funny. <laughs> Uh, Mark Engelson. Yep. Who are the writers who have most influenced you? So we, we got one off the Alan Moore. Yeah. Check. Um, uh, Frank Miller, who I know now, which is crazy. <laughs> that and is kind of crazy. It is crazy. Like we're like friends. Like he makes fun of me. You're the Batman <laughs> Hall. You're the Hall of Batman writers. I went to his house. <laughs> <laughs> what's it about? Yeah, I went to his. Yeah, he has like a loft. He has like a little. Of course, little he has castle. a loft. Yeah. <laughs> and he has like original Steve Ditko art on the wall. That's oh, so awesome. But you know, he collects. You know, his nerd is he collects toy cars. <laughs> his house is full of toy cars. <laughs> Sorry, that's off. Um, anyways, uh, I hope they have money to collect things like that. <laughs> Frank Miller, uh, Louise Simonson, who I've also met and hung out with. She's my favorite writer when I was a kid, and she's the nicest person she in the world. And, and fantastic X Factor comics. Oh, dude! I mean, that's. That's where the wedding, the marriage comes from. Uh, when I was a kid, when Cyclops proposed to Jean Grey, that was the biggest moment in my sort of kid oh. comic book career. 
was like, oh my god. So like, Did you hear Cyclops propose to Jean Grey? <laughs> Yo, that was major, though. <laughs> they're like, Yo, that was major. You're a nerd. We're going to beat you up later. <laughs> um, I remember how excited, so I wanted to recreate that. So that's what I mean, that's a direct Louis Simonson ripoff. And um, uh, Stan Lee and, and Jack Kirby, obviously, are huge influences. All right, this is a question I kind of have, too. It's a little bit different, but around the same way. Jerry, Frank, Frankie? Frankie. Frank, okay. Um, what brought you to decide Kite Man would be your throwline character for Batman? <laughs> also, yo, I'm not the biggest Kite Man nerd. Has he You're always... not the biggest Kite Man nerd? <laughs> no. I didn't know there was a nerd you didn't get Yo, yo I can, you can know about a lot of random characters. You know this. You got mad Batman friends. They be knowing stuff. Yo, was he always Charlie Brown, though? No, he was not always Charlie Brown. <laughs> yo. <laughs> He's Charlie Brown. Yeah, his name is... In continuity, his name is Chuck Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yo, I was like, oh, no! What's up, this? <laughs> Sorry. That, that was created in 1960 by Bill Finger, which means Bill Finger created Batman... Robin, Kite Man. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, the trilogy. Wayne Manor. <laughs> the giant dinosaur. Yeah. The big fitty. <laughs> um, why, 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 why Kite Man? Um, uh, I mean, yeah, hell yeah, right? Uh, so I, I wanted to, it's kind of, like I said, I'm, I'm a huge Frank Miller fan. If you read Frank Miller's Daredevil run, there's um, Stiltman is like sort of the through line for that whole thing. Jake's favorite. Yeah. Oh, right? Stiltman's the, and the best part about Stiltman is that when I was a kid, like it was, it's funny because his only power is to get taller. <laughs> but it's also kind of cool. You're like, oh yeah, if I had stilts, I could rob a 67 story thing. <laughs> like there was also something slightly cool about it, which I can't describe. So I wanted to do that so I was basically copying and then uh, Bendis had copied that using um Owlman, right in Daredevil. Yo, but Owlman was always low key hard though. Like that's <laughs> not he a, big like a big jump. villain. He wasn't a big villain, but like yo, he's Owlman. He run them streets. Like he was already <laughs> tough. But Kite Man, though, <laughs> Kite Man, Kite Man's tough. Kite, and, no, he's not tough. He's um, not tough. He just got punched in the face in Lego Batman movie. I saw him. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so well, I mean, I had this issue with Batman, and it was it just it was it was an issue where, where Gotham Girl's mourning her brother's death, and she's going a little crazy, and I wrote it and it was all sad and people looking at windows like I do. I was like, oh, it's bad. I gotta put punching in. <laughs> so I put in some three random characters and one of them was Kite. And I literally Googled like worst Batman villains. <laughs> Not because I wanted to put the worst ones in, but I knew the one if you use a, a, a higher level villain, you have to ask permission. Like if I want to use the Joker, then I have to be like, okay, what is Scott doing with the Joker? What is Grant have playing with the Joker? If I use Kite Man, nobody's gonna need permission. <laughs> um, so I was like, I was like, so I picked three low level villains and I use Kite Man. And um, uh, I put I did a, a nine panel grid of Kite Man breaking into this building, and all he said was the word Kite Man. And he ran on, <laughs> and I thought it was hilarious. He says his own name while he shouts until he runs. <laughs> and um, Ivan Reese was driving me, and I and he got to panel six, and I think he just got tired of me. He's like, ah, fuck it. And he drew a big <laughs> he drew a big splash at the bottom, and uh, and so then we had this big splash with no words on it. And I was like, I have to have him say something else because he said Kite Man. It just looks he has his arm. So I just added Hell Yeah because I. <laughs> <laughs> he's like kite man hell yeah like, he's really proud of it and that made me laugh and um so then I, from then on i just started using and then i'm a huge charlie brown uh charles schultz fan and like i have them like pasted up on my um my, my, my walls and stuff and i i just think those if you talk about words paired with pictures being like 
what comics are. The, the height of all comics was Charles Schultz, sort of 1959 to 1971, maybe. Yeah, okay, I, just, yeah. I just think that's just the transcendence of the best the art form's ever been. And so I was in another way to pay tribute to that. Yeah, I'm just surprised no one else caught, like... I didn't know his name was Chuck Brown. And <laughs> that was Tony Isabella did that. He's Black he's, Lightning. He's kite man and Charlie Brown always had the damn kite in the tree. <laughs> I was like, he always has a bad day. I was like, bruh. And like, so like, what? Who was the other two worst? Because it's like I know Condiment King had to also come up when you search for the worst. But Condiment King is I'm mad about Condiment King because <laughs> people always give me Tom do the Condiment King with you kite. No, no, Condiment King was made by Grant Morrison as a joke. That's him making fun of other stupid Batman villains. He got Lego now though. But that doesn't matter. But that's not Kite Man, that wasn't a joke. That was Bill Finger thinking he had nailed it that day. <laughs> like that was Bill Finger being like done wait, it again. Wait, 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 when did he make when did he make Kite Man? Nineteen sixty. You sure he wasn't also looking at Maybe I'm not he was like Yo Yo Charles got something right here with this <laughs> That's what I'm saying like making Condiment King is a joke that's supposed to be a joke. What's fun about comics is taking like something seriously that didn't work and making it work somewhere else that's a different sort of thing see what I'm saying no I get you I get you I just know like I wasn't expecting Kite Man to be that fire (laughs) (laughs) so I guess it is my last question oh my wife got so mad at me about Kite Man because my kid's name is Charlie he'll be here soon and um, named after Charlie Brown right and so then I I was writing this scene and I was like I had to have his kid die Mm. and I was like oh how did I make his kid I'll make him Charlie Jr I didn't even think about it and so I'm writing this thing and my wife reads the scene like you killed a little boy named Charlie in your book <laughs> and, then, and my daughter's name is Claire. She's a Gotham girl I named after her. So I thought I was like, I have a superhero named during my son's like I died in a comic. <laughs> I got a rock. It's like so perfect. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so my my last question is before we start getting to um, people signing is just how important is it that the editors that you work with um, that you have a good relationship with in terms of creating that they're not the evil comics. people <laughs> yo I'm not no, I'm not stepping to that racist <laughs> stuff I'm just let's let's stick with the yeah yeah <laughs> it's, it's probably the most important thing about comics is that you have an editor you can work with because an editor can mess you up I've had comics go out where I get them in my door and I open them and I'm like oh those aren't the words I wrote the editor changed it because the editor has the final cut they're the, they're the people they can change your words for you they can put in an artist you don't like they can change a color you don't want so you have to have it means that you have to have a trusted relationship with that person because they control like if you're writing and you want to write good stuff you want to control everything about that but you have to, but in comics it's a, it's a creative medium it's a it's a medium you have to give up control with and so you have to trust the people you give up control to so yeah it's utterly important super important and I, I work now with basically one editor Jamie Rich um, who uh, who wrote um, Lady Killers if anyone read that with Joel Jones and uh, I, I just think he's the he's the best he's probably tied for my favorite editor Will Moss who worked on Vision with. is that how Joel Jones ended up writing, uh, drawing writers? Uh well yeah I mean Jamie knew her but it was we, we worked together to get her on that book and um, she also draws the best Talia I've seen she actually looks like she's from the area of the world she's in <laughs> <laughs> that I thought that was amazing that it took this long <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, that wasn't no, forty that, years, right? That wasn't a tough call. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a lot of debate. 
Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we just, I just, I mean, I'm just looking for good artists, and Joel, Joel draws good art. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I, I love, I love Jamie Rich, and, and because he's a writer, he sort of knows the, the problems, and 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 uh, and he gives me space, space to work. All right, I think I'm done here. I'm, I'm going to let Tom interact with all you fine people in the store. Thanks, man. And uh, thank you. Thank you for appearing in the store and talking to you people. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Tell them they can ask me questions while they come up. Yeah, you can ask some questions and he'll draw like faces on the Amber Fudd issue. I will do that. Um, They'll be terrible, but I will draw them. Yeah. That's that's it. Just get get ready. I guess we're gonna move out of the way so they can make the line. Yeah. Get the line popping. So yeah. Uh, if you-